But then uh, she told me about her husband, that he was a champion in karate. So I said, whoa, gee, you make sure that you let me know when he he's visiting Berlin. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. The French forces in Berlin were the units of the French armed forces stationed since 1945 until the end of the Cold War in West Berlin, according to the agreements of the Yalta and Potsdam conferences. The troops were the French counterparts to the United States Berlin Brigade and the UK's Berlin Infantry Brigade in the city. Philippe was stationed in Berlin between 1972 and 1973. He did not volunteer, he was conscripted and wasn't too happy at first, but started enjoying life outside of the Quartier Napoleon, as it was called near Tegel Airport. His role was in signals intelligence and during the day he listened to FM radio transmissions of the East German Army as well as the Soviets. If you're enjoying the podcast you can help me to keep producing these episodes by a small monthly donation via Patreon. You will get the sought after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you and you bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping me to preserve Cold War history. But don't take my word for it. Here's Andrew Hawes, one of our listeners. Hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm very proud to support Cold War Conversations with a small donation each month, because Ian's put together such a brilliant range of interviews. If you want high power, there's the son of Nikita Khrushchev, there are cross-border romances, old-fashioned spy stories, and the bizarre world of East European football. If you do support the podcast, your wallet will be a tiny bit lighter, but your brain will be very, very thankful. If you're interested in supporting us financially, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. So, back to today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome Philippe to our Cold War conversation. You know, in, in France, when you uh, graduate uh, with the baccalaureate, it's, uh, you are being asked if you want to start now, if you want to go to the university to give you the deferral or something like this for three years or four, six years, or whatever you do. And uh, the other option also, if you don't want to serve uh, in the you know, the real military, then you can go away from France. That was another option. So you had to disappear from uh, the country for two years and prove that you were uh, working for an NGO or for some French school in a third world country, preferably. But then uh, you couldn't go to Belgium, let's say, and stay <laughs> there for two years and <laughs> pretend that you'd, uh, you know, get away with the, that service. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I decided to go because, you know, I went briefly uh, registered in the university, realized that, you know, I had no idea of what I wanted to study. And it was a few courses I took were not very inspiring either. So uh, I uh, said I, I could join. So they uh, gave me uh, a letter and then I had to be there. I forgot, you know, at the end of the, the, the year 
and took a train and then uh, had my hair cut before. I just did not want to have it uh, shaved <laughs> uh, well, after arriving. So I tried to get the, some decent type of fur. That was the thing. In these days, people had long hair. So getting your hair cut was, uh, you know, losing a big chunk of who you thought you were, you know, the image. <laughs> yeah. This was early 70s, wasn't it? That's correct. Yes, it was in 72. And, uh, right. 72, right. And then you had to serve for a year or more, depending on what contract you had. So, But then it was really a year. Now it's totally disappeared from the uh, uh, from f- France. It's all professional uh, military, for the better or for the worse. But uh, Where did you first have to report to and what were those first days like in the French army? That's Yeah, that, that, that's a funny uh, feeling. You know, you go... You go in, it was freezing. I remember they had some type of uh, big uh, turbine, you know, throwing some heat. And then they gave us all these uh, uh, uniforms and bags and all these stuffs. And, you know, then we found ourselves uh, in line waiting in front of the uh, cafeteria, you know, the mess, as they call it. And then uh, I remember we just had no idea, you know, didn't know each other, etc. And then. All of a sudden, I remember that strange anecdote where there was that guy that came in. He, you know, he was probably a sergeant or a corporal. He started screaming at us, and then I, I thought he was just kidding. You know, so I burst out laughing, and then he looked at me and said, "What's your name?" etc. And then I realized that it was not a joke like the guy was not trying to be funny imitating the <laughs> the average movie um, yeah movie uh, drill sergeant he was real asshole the way he, they were going to be until the end <laughs> but it was short you know that that uh, after about 3 4 days we just uh, realized where we were but uh, that was and it became to be fun, you know. We started making friends after a few days. Physical effort was low grade, you know. I expected something much longer marches, longer uh, exercise things, or uh, pra- target practice and stuff like that. But it was, you know, once a week uh, or long marches were like once uh, every other week and and I, I really enjoyed these and you know, I could walk for hours I really like I didn't like carrying the, the backpack because it was a, a little heavy but beside that uh, you know people dreaded that they would sometimes ask us to walk at night but that was still you know it was I, I thought that the physical thing was hardly anything and did that sergeant that you uh quickly found didn't didn't have a sense of humor did he um continue to make your life difficult or not no see i was not in that uh camp for very long so that was in france and that was like about a month a month and a half then i went to across uh, that was in eastern france so i you know i crossed the rhine by train and then i was in landau which was in the uh, palatinate you know parts and the black forest and then uh, spent a f- uh, t- another month there where i was trained for uh, uh, encoding 
messages. So it was the uh, cryptology department. So we were essentially trained on different machines. Uh, uh, some uh, were mechanical, uh, so some were uh, with electronics. So that was uh, not, you know, high tech as it is today, but we were trained on uh, one specific machine that was uh, the, uh, you know, main machine that I worked uh, with for, uh, you know, the year and and, and after with the, uh, encoding these FM radios. So essentially we were listening to radio waves and military. I don't know how they decided what was military or not, but then uh, we had several frequencies and I was not during the, listening thing but then uh essentially you would get messages that would be uh uh, typed and then i would have these machines with the input with a clear and the output was uh, encoded and that someone else obviously on the other side i never knew where uh it was read i presume somewhere in france and then that was uh decoded with the same you know, very much like Enigma machine, you know, but yeah. more sophisticated where you had to have the same uh, code, you know, on the uh, on both sides to be able to read. So that was uh, the job I was trained for when I was. Uh, you were you were being trained in signals intelligence by by the sound of it. So so these were somebody was listening to FM messages from the Warsaw Pact, and then you were uh, encoding those messages in order to be sent back to uh, France for further investigation. That's right. So these messages obviously were either in Russian, in uh, uh, Polish, or in German, you know. And most of us uh, servicemen uh, were uh, bilingual because they were most of them from uh, Alsace-Lorraine, so they were pretty good at uh, learning or already knew German. Some of them were binationals and spoke fluently one or the others. You couldn't even tell uh, where they were from. Some, you know, the uh, Slavic languages were mostly professionals, except for one guy. But so all these messages on FM were in the local language of these uh, Warsaw Pact. And then, uh, you know, they would end up on my in the morning uh, because I was not working nights. I was just uh, lucky enough to uh, tape these, uh, to receive these messages the morning after. So I would just do my eight hours and uh, send these messages. But it was not very busy. But essentially what we were doing is looking at what was, what was the normal, what to expect from uh, these uh, Warsaw Pact troops and uh, what was the uh, normal day and what was unusual, where they were moving, where they we did not expect. So that was just trying to find out, which in the end, you know, I'll tell you probably later with the unexpected things. There was uh, the war in 73 with uh, uh, in October with uh, Israel and then Egypt and then uh, uh, the Russian threatened to send some troops there because I think that Israel was not following the ceasefire or something like this. But then there was that uh, time where we realized that the uh, exchanges 
on the FM radio, all these military uh, 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 messages were ab abnormal to a point. And, and, you know, we'll go back to there. But then there was a tremendous amount of uh, messages all of a sudden. So we could tell something was unusual. And that was uh, why we were there, essentially. Did you have any combat training or was it just almost straight into uh, after the basic training you were put straight into this uh, signals intelligence unit that that's exactly right yeah and I, I, ever after that it was very little uh, marches uh, you, you know uh, 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 field trips it was in in berlin even though it's a pretty big city we didn't really go out there was some uh, 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 practice training you know for uh, gun gun stuff but that was like once uh, every month or every other month that's a few times in fact i met a few uh, americans or british soldiers while on duty where uh, they would come by truck and uh, we would arrive by truck also and then you know when it was their time then they would walk uh, come in and it was a shareable uh, practice uh, target practice things but that's the only few times that we really mingled that uh, and we couldn't even read chit chat because of a language barrier was this still in germany or was this in berlin yeah that was in berlin sorry that was in berlin but uh, yeah it's true if, if, if it was all uh, just a encoding messages ever after you know office work type for for the rest of my time so when when were you posted to berlin so i arrived i think in in 72 and then uh you know i was happy to be in a big big city again so you know it would have uh, even in the evening you would have the right to leave and you had to come back before 10.30, I think, and then the weekends, I tended to have them off also. So it was pretty easy going for me. I don't think that the uh, Warsaw Pact guys were busy during weekends either, if I remember. Yeah, it was pretty easy going. <laughs> what, what were your first impressions of, of Berlin? Yeah, it... it, it you know, the, it was not like being in a small place. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, going in the streets and, uh, you, you know, not being uh, like, as in France, you know, you, well, when you leave, you have to wear civilian clothes. You're not leaving with your uniform unless you're on some, some type of mission. But then uh, people didn't pay any attention to you. Like if we were a group of French uh, uh, servicemen in, in Germany, you know, we were told uh, you'll get these kids that will want to pick a fight. We were told never to uh, accept a fight from uh, these uh, German kids uh, or French kids also. But uh, in, in Germany, definitely, they were trying to pick fight on in the evening and... Uh, you know, in, in Berlin, there, there was no such thing. I mean, you, nobody paid any attention to you, whether you were wearing a, a uniform or not. So it was uh, it was great. And uh, there was the Kurfürstendamm, you know, which was like the big avenue in West Berlin. It used to be, you know, Unter den Linden before the big center, but then uh, Berlin Mitte. But then uh, Kurfürstendamm was 
my hangout for a while. And then the, that's where I met the German woman, in fact, uh, the second week I was there. So I was really lucky. And that was, uh, that was in a movie theater. They were playing Cabaret. Yeah, the Liza Minnelli film. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And it took place in Berlin in the 20s. So it was uh, very... Uh, uh, very interesting, you know. And then there was there she was, and I had no idea I was going to stop and watch that movie. So I was asked later, and you were supposed to say if you had a, a friendship or a girlfriend or whatever reported. But then uh, I never bothered, of course. But then she, you know, I I'm the one that started the the talk, and I had no idea I was going to be waiting in line. Uh, so it was not a setup, of course. But then, uh, you know, later on, uh, they uh, I received a letter from her, uh, and then I told her, you know, if you send me a letter, never say Berlin, because uh, and then she said, are they going to know? I said, just don't put Berlin. But she did put put Berlin, and uh, I was asked, uh, then who's that woman? And then. Uh, uh, it's trouble started, but on top of that, uh, she was uh, doing business with East Germany. So she was importing some, uh, the company she worked for, uh, imported uh, materials from East Germany for very low prices. She, she said, I wonder, you know, unless it's, uh, you know, how do you call these, uh, some uh, illegal, uh, uh, some... Uh, Black market. Uh, black market, exactly. That, uh, but uh, the fact was that she was going to uh, East Berlin uh, at least uh, twice a week. So I thought that she had, if they follow her, then uh, I might be in trouble. And I should have said that I'd met her. But then uh, it looks like they didn't do their homework. You know, I suspect that they just... <laughs> Check where she worked, etc. And then they asked me for you know how I met her, and I said uh, you know it, it was definitely not a, a setup. But then they believed me, but then they never really double checked, and it was uh, <laughs> I was disappointed. So, yeah, I'd be surprised because I would have thought somebody who regularly travelled to East Berlin would be an immediate red flag to the French counterintelligence guys. Yeah, you, you would have thought so, but they were not. Uh... Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, our department was not like, it was military uh, intelligence. It was nothing to do with uh, uh, civilians. So she she was a civilian, as, as far as uh, 
I knew or she, uh, they knew, but then they obviously didn't pursue the, uh, but it was not unusual that there was a lot of black market between the two countries. Not unusual at all. East Germany was very much after the uh, hard currency, weren't they? Um, did did she ask you uh, what you did in the French army or ask you any questions about what you did? Yeah, and then I just said that I was some type of secretary, that I would just uh, retype letters. I just never – I mentioned by accident, uh, you know, Fernschreiber, uh, you know, the uh, tele, tele, um, teletypes by accident one day and then uh, she repeated that uh, to some friends when we're uh, you know together with some of her friends and I said wow you should never have said that I was really upset but anyways no I was not supposed to share anything uh, and I did not say anything about what I was doing when you were posted to Berlin were you warned about potential honey traps women trying to befriend you to get information? No, not really. You know, there's the we were supposed to report any um, um, close relationship with some German uh, c- citizens, but not. They didn't say anything really. And uh, as far as you know, an attack also of uh, the the West, we were vaguely told that there was some arms depot. We knew where they were, but there was no plan B. And, of course, if there was a plan B, they were not going to tell us. So uh, especially servicemen, they were not very uh, reliable anyway. So uh, the impression we had is that there was no no real plan B, you know, no plan A or plan B for that matter. If West Berlin was attacked by the Warsaw Pact, you you didn't have any clear orders as to what to do in in that situation no nothing clear i think that what we were told is just to try to waste uh to wage to play for time i didn't know what that meant but uh, we discussed that among ourselves you know where we're going to die for uh, (laughs) west berlin and uh, what uh, why would they we all agreed you know among servicemen that these Russians had no interest in in Berlin. You know, they tried to blockade it, and then there was some airlift. They were not going to shoot down uh, airlift uh, British or American airplanes because that would have looked really, uh, really bad. So then, in the seventies, eighties, there was no. They were didn't even try to blockade things, and the fact that they would attack uh, Berlin was the first uh, would have been the first city they would take over and probably didn't give us any chance to just even slow them down or anything like this and but the chance they would that the soviet union would attack you know the warsaw pact would attack the west was totally impossible in our mind absolutely unlikely it was all in the mind of uh, the americans maybe the british but from our side we never perceived the slightest threat of uh, from the Soviet bloc. What was the, the the French sector like? What what was in the French sector of Berlin? Not not much. You know, it was uh, much bigger than the uh, French sector in the, the rest of West Germany, which is very small, close to the French border. But in Berlin, it was you know the whole near Tegel Air, Airport. It was like the uh, 
the north of uh, the city. And it was, you know, I'm not too sure how the checkpoints, the French military checkpoints were working. You know, your question was about uh, the French sector itself. You know, there was no way to say you were in the British or American sector. There was only the barracks that were uh, identifying things. And definitely the Americans were overwhelmingly uh, had their airports and radar system listening device and we were peanuts, you know, we only had little antennas and we were not uh, as serious as they were. Different interests also that were not ours. It has to be clearly understood that the interest of uh, the United States for uh, Frenchmen, you know, let's say uh, there was some tension in in Cuba, let's say in the 60s, and then Russian wouldn't put pressure on the uh, Berlin, but were we going to die for Cuba, for American interest, you know, perceived from a French serviceman, you know, that was also another, you know, obscure thing. So nobody wanted to die in the first place. So the, the military installations were around the, was it the Quartier Napoleon? Right. So there was a, you know, small place. We, we, we uh, there, there were some, uh, I'd say, I think it was around three to 5,000 uh, uh, people, including the wives and children uh, of the uh, professional soldiers. Uh, it, it was very small uh, barracks, small uh, gar- gar- garrison. It was not very uh, Americans. I think there were a lot more of them. And they had PX also, so we were entitled to go to the American PX with our uh, military uh, papers, and we could buy there. So that was that was the fun things. We often used to go to Tempelhof uh, Airport, uh, where among other places that the Americans uh, had, and then uh, buy stuff in their PX and, and meet uh, some American soldiers there too, even though. You know, there's that small anecdote where we were there, I think it was at five o'clock or something, and then they started uh, putting the Star Spangled Banner on the loudspeakers, and everybody stopped, put their hands on their on their heart, <laughs> and we were there, you know, just totally stunned. <laughs> like, really, is that, uh, you know, we didn't have much uh, of this, you know, maybe the British have that too, you know, the... God save the Queen, and uh, but in France, ever after World War Two, you know, more pressure was made on being a European, especially reconciliating France and Germany. So the idea of uh, waving a French flag or singing, uh, you know, an anthem to the glory of the, of the French uh, culture. Uh, it was very much like the Germans, uh, you know, had a very low profile about being uh, a German or being a Frenchman. You know, the European Union was being created. and uh, But seeing the American, uh, you know, stop and put their hands on their heart, that was <laughs> just another world for us. Yeah. Well, what were your rations like in Berlin? Was it just regular stuff that you you would have in france i remember a uh, british soldier telling me they were very envious of the fact you had wine with your meals <laughs> that's true 
yeah, pretty lousy quality wine. But uh, see, in uh, in France and in West Germany, France was uh, paying the bill and and doing the uh, the cooking, etc. So we uh, in Berlin, the 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 Western Allies were paid by. Uh, I think probably the federal government, not the city of Berlin. But uh, we had German food, you know, in, in our mess, or French-German. And we had beer and wine. But you could definitely have wine, and you could get two bottles or get one, buy one from one of your <laughs> colleagues and get uh, get drunk if you wanted. There was, uh, But the quality of the wine was lousy. You know, it was mm. really... Low, as bad as it, and we used to get also one cartridge of cigarettes. You know, it's just awful encouraging young kids to smoke. And uh, uh, but I didn't smoke personally, so I would sell my Gaulois, you know, my cartridge of Gaulois blue, and uh, you know, get some other things. I forgot what they were, but they otherwise the food was uh, was fine. You know, it was not nowhere near what you get when you're. Uh, in a war zone or where you have to eat from your, uh, uh, you know, how do you call that? These little packages. Yeah. But you got things like regular fresh baguettes and things like that. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the morning you use, uh, we had, you know, good coffee, good bread, marmalade, butter. That was, uh, yeah, food was good. Can't complain. Yeah. And did you do any further training? In Berlin, no, it was more technical training and uh, gun practicing also. But these were the only two things really. There was uh, not much, uh, you know. I I was disappointed. I wish that uh, I'd been running every day, every morning, but no such thing at all. You know, the impression you're giving me is that discipline quite relaxed or. There just wasn't a lot, you know, to do, really. Yeah, well, it was uh, relaxed in the way that we had our our job to do, and then uh, we hardly interfered with the professional uh, uh, soldiers who were more uh, officers or petty officers, but we hardly talked to them. You know, we hardly had any contact. Uh, we had uh, our part of the uh, barracks with uh, all, you know, code uh, things to open most doors. And often it was the same code. It was suspected that it was the original code, that they never bothered to change it because they were not very <laughs> uh, savvy uh, in general. You know, that was the thing between the... Uh, servicemen and the uh, professionals that they were not very bright you know they were it was just a job they were not very well educated it was uh, but no interference really so they were not you know because the job we were doing were was taking place in offices we were not really uh, we didn't have much you know we never saluted saluted each other you know giving the so in France, you know, if you don't have a hat on your head, which we never did in the offices, you can't salute with a regular salute. So you have to just, uh, you know, nod your head, your head when it's a, an officer, the captain comes in, you just stop speaking. But otherwise, uh, you know, discipline was pretty lax. 
Right. Was there anything on your uniform that indicated that you worked in the signals intelligence or was it just a general uniform you had? No, it was a general uniform. The only thing that we had is that we had a special card to go and eat so we wouldn't wait in line because we were presumably operational, operational. So we were presumably busy. We couldn't wait. So, But otherwise, it would just say that we were this you know, and everybody could see there was an antenna and it was called uh, electronic warfare. But so some people asked us, what do you do? So I said, ah, I can't tell you because then I have to kill you. <laughs> 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 but anyway, so there was nothing really except that they knew if we were from that uh, section, that we're, that's what we were doing. So so what did you do in your, your leisure time? And I mean, you, you told me you, you met this uh, German woman you know what 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 did you do you went out dancing cinema that sort of stuff yeah more like cinema or restaurant or her home because obviously there was no way she could come to uh, our home that was strictly forbidden i think it's only once that we saw a woman it was the a french girlfriend of uh, one of these guys and she came in with a uniform and then uh, you know she we were very impressed that he could he could bring her inside. But anyway, so just to go back to uh, Brigitte, who was uh, that German woman. It was, uh, you know, either her place and uh, movie theaters, restaurant. It was really looking back. It was it was fun. I was uh, lucky. After you know we I had to go back. Then uh, she came to Paris for for a while. But then you know. And it just probably wouldn't have worked. It was probably the end of the uh, this the love story, and, and I'm not even sure that she uh, was serious. You know, she was a little older than me. She was uh, 27, and she was in the uh, married, but she was divorcing. Her husband wanted to work in he was offered a good job in West Germany, and that's the thing. She did not want to leave Berlin because she was a Berliner, and uh, she thought that, uh, you know, she she couldn't live in in, in, in West Germany. But then uh, she told me about her husband, that he was a champion in karate. So I said, whoa, gee, you make sure that you let me know when he he's visiting Berlin. I yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't want to meet him. <laughs> but in any case, they were divorcing. And and how did the locals treat you? Did they? I mean, it it sounded like you said earlier that you know they treated you with respect and were quite pleased to have soldiers in Berlin to defend them from the Warsaw Pact. Right. I think you know they they were very uh, uh, grateful to the Allies for the uh, blockade, but um, you know, as a general rule, they were. Pretty much embarrassed about World War One and Two, but especially Two. But they were very friendly. You know, this is Prussia. Berlin is Prussia, and they're they're very welcoming, very open, very friendly people to French people, especially. I think they love French people. I'm not sure it's true in return, but it's not disliked <laughs> toward Germany, the German people. But it's true that the Germans really like uh, France. I generally get the impression that Berlin, certainly for for the British Army, Berlin was one of the best postings 
you could have because you were really well looked after, free transport, um, you know, a great city to uh, be be living in. Um, so w- would you say that was the same for the French army, that it was a very um, sought-after posting? People wanted to, you know, if there was somewhere they were going to get sent, they'd prefer it was Berlin than anywhere else? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, we all were happy to be in Berlin. But on the other hand, uh, it was far from home, you know. Mm. You had to travel night. I'm not sure why. But we'd take a night train and then there was no no, not, no sleeper, not a sleeper type of train. So you arrive in Paris, you're exhausted. And... Uh, I went back two times, I think, for uh, the whole time I was there. So that was kind of far. Not that I missed uh, home much anyways. Maybe I missed the city of Paris. But, uh, you know, all in all, I think that most other people wanted to be close to home, you know, spend a weekend there or go back home every other week. But that that was not really possible in, in Berlin. So the way you travel to Berlin was by train every time. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, uh, a night train. It was like, you know, six, uh, eight hours, even though uh could be much faster. But then, you know, you had to cross the uh, uh, bus, the, the, the border, and uh, these guys would just check the train. They had mirrors and check under the train, etc. And it was just a... Uh, you you would waste just an, a whole hour just uh, being uh, just crossing that border and crossing it again. You know, entering West Germany, where they would check if nobody jumped in the train to escape to West Germany. the The other way around was highly unlikely that people escaped to East Germany, <laughs> but they certainly checked. You know, you mentioned some interaction with um, U.S. soldiers at the PX store at, at Tempelhof. Did you have much contact with British soldiers? You know, hardly any. The only place we saw them were in that, uh, you know, pr- uh, target practicing, you know, every month or every other month, but hardly got a chance to really, uh, you know, uh, talk to them to uh, it was unfortunate because uh, you know I thought that it would have been interesting but the level my English uh, really was bad in, in these days it was more like uh, you know high school uh, English my German got much better after a, a little while but uh, you know chit chatting with British soldiers except you know for the basic things and they were also professional uh, soldiers. So that was also another big gap. Like we had a hard time dealing with uh, professional soldiers in the French army. So we perceived them as uh, the same kind of people that, uh, uh, you know, just uh, joined the army as opposed to us who were forced to join it for, for our service time. Did you ever visit East Berlin? Yes, in fact, that that was fun. Yeah, that, we had a bus. You had to you had to wear the uniform there, and uh, no way to talk to any local people. No way. But then uh, you would uh, 
be, you know, 15 of us going to a museum, going to a big, big, you know, places that you tourist visit. And I remember being there once and uh, it was cold and I put my hands in my pockets. And of course, behind me was one of these uh, uh, sergeants who just started screaming at me, you know, using the F word for every, you know, the French F word for every other second telling me, can you do that? You're in a foreign country. You're supposed to look uh, like a serious, uh, like a French soldier. And then you put your hands in your pocket. And I thought again, that I was going to be in big trouble while, you know, going back to the barracks, but nothing happened again, you know, so it was pretty low level, these, <laughs> the discipline, it was, uh, plus it was paperwork for that guy, you know, so he was not, you know, not a motivated person, so nothing ever happened. But yeah, East Berlin was a, t- a totally different world. It, it, Looked, uh, it was not. Uh, there was no ruins uh, that you wouldn't see. Uh, you know, in the seventies, it was uh, history. But then uh, they had rebuilt it. They were probably behind. The housing didn't look, you know, as wealthy as they did in the West. But again, talking to a, a local guy, even though most of us could speak German at that point, we. It was not even, and they would fear you. They would look like, uh, check you wearing a uniform, then look the other way. <laughs> and what what places did you see in East Berlin? We went to the uh, to the museum. You know, where I, I can't remember the name of it. I yeah. Otherwise, it was just four hours at most, maybe uh, more like three hours. It was a very short thing. And uh, you had to apply for it. Most people didn't really care, which which was unfortunate. But did you see the the East German honor guard at the Neue Wache? Did you see that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, the kind of thing. Also, and these were uh, servicemen. I don't know if those if, who were doing that uh, special Wache uh, uh, was uh, were. were uh, they were probably just average NVA uh, soldiers, you know. Yeah, I think they were defined as being in quite elite units of the East German army to carry out that guard. Even though, you know, on the Miradors, on the, how do you call these, uh, the uh, watchtowers that they yeah. had all around Berlin, they, sometimes we were told they were regular soldiers and that they made sure they didn't know one another. So there was some doubt if the other guy was not a snitch, but that was the the idea. It was that they they were uh, servicemen, not always uh, uh, sure if, if they were going to be able to shoot when told, but feared one one another. But we, you know, never got anywhere near these guys. But we were told that. I don't know if it's true. Mm. And d- did you see much of the border elsewhere in Berlin? You know, it's big in the end. There, you, you, I think you even have cows in, in my days. You know, it was uh, there were some entire areas near Wannsee. You know, with these little lakes, you had the big open space. But you know, I tended to spend most of my time in the 
populated cities. Or with my friends, you know, we all, almost every other day we would go out and try, you know, and, and drink some beer with the, or wine with the local people. And we had quite a few interesting discussions with some of these guys. The young, you know, there were all sorts of cafes in Berlin, but then you had coffees mm-hmm. with, uh, for, for, you know, for just like in England, you have coffees, uh, uh, pubs for uh, working class, for all different areas. And, you know, we would look for uh, cafes where you had young people, especially young women, but, you know, women don't tend to go to, uh, out uh, in cafes or discos as uh, easily as men. But uh, we could meet quite a few Germans. And my German got better after a while, but it was, uh, they were, you know, friendly people. Yeah, when you say interesting conversations, what sort of things were you talking about? Can you remember? Yeah, so it's, it was often political, mind you, that, uh, you know, as opposed to uh, maybe, uh, you know, in America, you hardly, especially after Trump or in the days of Trump, you don't even talk about politics. But in general, you know, Europeans tend to talk about that or history about World War II, we would try to, and and most of them knew a lot and would would discuss, you know, some. And, and strangely enough, there were also a lot of East Germans that had crossed the, the border in some exchange programs because they were too left wing. Uh, or to uh, right wing, whatever. But then they had some programs, and uh, uh, each time I would find out that one guy was from uh, the east, a young young man, and then I would get scared and try to make sure that I had <laughs> as little to do with him. But otherwise, yeah, political discussions were not unusual at all. Yeah, because in in West Berlin, you couldn't be conscripted into the West German army. So you did have a lot of young men who would live in West Berlin to avoid being uh, conscripted into the army. Yeah, that's true. I remember that. That's their way to bring uh, young people to Berlin. That uh, There are a few universities, you know, five universities they and still today they're desperately trying to uh, appeal to uh, uh young germans and uh i'm not sure if they're successful but the rents are pretty low and uh, that attracts also yeah i think the 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 rents are, are going up quite quite quickly actually and i think that the reason why you couldn't get conscripted was because berlin was still officially occupied by the allied powers and wasn't technically part of west germany that's right no i had forgotten that but you're absolutely right yeah if you, if you came to uh, uh to west berlin you you could get away with service yeah, that's true. That's 50 years ago. <laughs> I'm really sort of trying to excavate some memories from the the deepest recesses of your of your memory. When when did you leave Berlin? Uh well, I left in uh, 73, you know, I think after a year and a half altogether, but then some of it was not part of the service. It was only uh, one year, but then uh 
I left for France and then uh, started, uh, you know, trying to try to go back to school, and then tried to make some money and go and and, tra- and travel with the the savings. So I did that. I worked for a year or two in Paris and then uh, made enough money to travel for you know several years after. And then, you know, when I was in my 20s, then I went back to school. And then my late 20s, uh, we went back to school, studied uh, political science. And uh, uh, even though I never got a job uh, in political science, <laughs> turned out to be a waste of time. But I was just fascinated by this whole Cold War thing. That's uh, unbelievable. Were, were there any unusual or particularly interesting situations that you had in Berlin? Well, the only interesting situation about the uh, work itself was when there was the war between uh, Israel and the uh, uh, some Arab countries, you know, Egypt and uh, uh, Syria, that was uh, ex- unbelievably busy. We could see that the... Uh, uh, Warsaw Pact were just uh, confusing us. You know, what we would do to catch some unusual frequency was done kind of manually, and then the guy would just uh, start a tape recorder. And then uh, when there was that unrest in the in the uh, Soviet uh, side, then uh, the amount of uh, messages was was so high that even if you had a scanner, like I suspect Americans had some scanning device that would just uh, detect a frequency and start a tape recorder immediately, uh, then they were totally swamped. And I suspect that's why they started putting some nonsense messages. I, I remember one of these messages that was interesting in during that war in the Middle East where the uh, uh, it was a, a German guy in the uh, East German army who, who wrote that message that was saying, he who reads that message has to be a moron. So, of course, it was made for us, knowing that we, we listen to them and then uh, they know that we listen to, to them and we also know that they know that we know that, you know, in the end, it's so ridiculous. It makes no sense to invest money. In, uh, but, you know, our job was just to look at what was, uh, what to expect, etc. But then that message was very interesting because you did not know if it was a code, really, if it was something to keep or not. It was uh, among many others that we caught, and I don't know how many, you know, the, the, the Brits or the American could catch also. And then, uh, you know, it's what, what is a real message? What is it talking about? Most of the time it, they talk about the uh, weather report, but... Uh, in these days where they send bogus messages in the air, then anything could mean anything. And we... So the, these messages you, that were being listened into weren't encrypted. They were in clear language. Yeah, the, the Germans would say, you know, it was an alphanumeric uh, thing. So they would just not say uh, 
he who reads this message in pure German, it was just a letter by letter, like a telex. You know, it was like, yeah. you know, we have uh, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, blah, blah, blah. And they have their own code in the Warsaw Pact. So it was just letter and numbers. It was, it's after you get one guy who who reads it that you get access to a clear version. But what they would say on the waves was just alphanumeric. You had no idea if... Uh, Right, so no, so not encrypted in any way, aside from using a phonetic alphabet to communicate. Right, and the the, the message itself on FM could not be encoded. Well, today, you know, if it's you can encode your voice, you can encode uh, a lot of things. But in these days, it was pretty basic. And what what was this intelligence being shared with the uh, British and the Americans? This I have no idea. You know, I you could try to ask. The answer was always, you know, well, that's none of your business. Or, but I no idea really. That's a good question, though. I, you know, you wish that everything was shared, but not always. You know, and. There was that, you know, a lot of things would happen between the Brits and the Americans that we were not aware of, and the Germans were not aware of, you know, when they were, they would discover a tunnel, like as they did, I forgot that the name, it was called Gold, yeah, uh, tunnel under Berlin, it was in the 50s, I think the 60s, but... Yeah, fifty. The Germans learned about it through the, the, the Russians, who just complained about it. But the French and the Germans, I think they were not really part of the, the... Well, the French had left NATO, the direct command of NATO, hadn't they, in the, was it early 70s? I think it was under De Gaulle, so that was in the 60s. 60s, right, okay. Early 60s, yeah. Yeah, so, you, so the French were detached anyway from the main command structures of, of NATO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's correct. So there was uh, probably not much that we had to share. We probably would have learned from uh, you guys, especially, uh, you know, England tends to be uh, more militarily uh, tied to uh, the U.S. You know, even the NSA stuff in Britain are not made to uh, necessarily to listen to the enemy, but for the Brits to listen to Brits and then for the Americans to listen to their friends. Uh, But it's true that uh, all these NASA network friends, Germany are not involved uh, very much. It's almost like a, a different separated world, which And we have further information such as videos and links in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast without the generous support of our patrons. However, I want to especially thank our Politburo level members who are contributing a generous 30 US dollars a month to keep us on the air. They are Tony Sowards, Sam Hardwick, Nicholas Butter, Jeffrey Jones, Matthew Comstock, Frederick Esposito, Jack Madwed, Todd Lemieux, Mark Labance, and Peter Ryan. Don't forget, if you like one of those Cold War Conversations coasters and help support the show, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. 
If you can't wait for the next episode, please visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information